Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and if you've been sort of living in Pakistan or following Pakistan over the last couple of years, you've noticed that Pakistan has had in the region perhaps one of the best responses to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and a lot of the credit for that um, goes to the NCOC, which did a fantastic job. The day we're recording this, um, the week that we're recording this, the NCOC is officially, its mandate is over. Um, but it is a national success story, and I think we should celebrate that. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, a bit about the NCOC today as well. Uh, but I have with me Maha Rahman. She is uh, adjunct faculty at LUMS and is also a data analytics specialist, has a almost a decade's worth of experience in designing and executing evidence-based programs. Um, she also helped set up the analytics, uh, analytics wing at SERP. Um, that is focused on embedding data in the decisions and operations of the private and public sector. Um, and she's been on the podcast before, and I have the link to the previous episode down below in the description. Um, but Maha really, over the last few months, was involved in a collaborative cross-border, um, cross-regional initiative um, that looked at boosting the efficiency or uh, reducing the hesitancy related to vaccines and increasing uh, the number of people wearing masks during the pandemic. And this was, again, a data-led approach, um, had phenomenal impact. Um, and in part, in a small way, maybe, maybe in a large way, we'll find out, um, had an impact in terms of, you know, making sure that Pakistanis resisted the coronavirus pandemic as well as they did. Um, so Maha, first of all, uh, welcome back to Pakistanomy. And second of all, congratulations on all your hard work that you and your team have done. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me again. So help us understand like what, what the interventions were and maybe let's start with vaccine, right? Because I remember last September I was in Pakistan. Um, a lot of people I knew were hesitant about the vaccine, all sorts of conspiracy theories about chips and magnets and you're going to be sterile after this, et cetera. Um, so help us understand what was the work that you were doing, um, not only in Pakistan, but in the region. So just to give you a quick context, so with COVID, we were introduced to a whole host of new challenges that we did not know, or the government and the practitioners did not know how to approach. So when it comes to vaccines, the health department and the government had a lot of experience in vaccinating children. So the polio drive is for children, the other vaccine drives are for children, and it's easy to go into a school, you find all the children in that age group within a school, uh, within a specific set of time, and you're able to quickly roll out such vaccine drives. With COVID, you were looking at your entire eligible population, first about 18 and now about 12 years of age, that you were going to try and get vaccinated. Um, but uh, COVID in Pakistan is a fairly urban phenomenon. And in urban centers, sources of information are multiple. So you have the traditional media, you have social media. So as opposed to rolling something out in rural areas where it's easy to get people behind the imam or to approach them in a community setting, to rural areas may information spread is considerably easier than in an urban setting like Lahore. So Lahore is a city of 13 million people. Mobility is high. You go into Liberty Market for the entire one month, if you Liberty Market, you won't target the same people more than twice, twice even at best. So mobility is high. Sources of information are multiple. People are drawing their information from multiple sources uh, and believing in all sorts of theories, data-driven, not data-driven, more so coming through WhatsApp, 
which they should not be catering to. And um, the fact that um, the networks in an urban setting are not spatial, they are across class. So given these dynamics, when you want to approach a vaccine rollout systemically, how do you do it? So it was at this point that the Lahore District Administration, the Commissioner Lahore, who was partnering with the Health Department, reached out to myself, my team at LAMS, and my co-authors, um, and asked for advice on how to roll out or systemically plan the vaccine drive in the city. And so for that, it was very important that we quickly roll it out, but we also start collecting data in the process. So we roll it out, we collect data, we learn, we go back and revise the design. So you act, you learn, and then you go back and revise the design again. But quick action was necessary, quick learning was also necessary. So we couldn't wait for an entire study or entire pilot to happen before you could roll it out. The action had to take place right away. Um, and at this point, Pakistan was fairly lucky that uh, supply was not an issue, unlike in India and in sub-Saharan Africa. So NCOC did an excellent job. So by August, all vaccine centers were staffed with a supply of seven to eight vaccines that you could go into a vaccine center and choose the vaccine that you wanted to take. But still, there was a large population that was not getting vaccinated. And so uh, in order to reach out, we decided to do a door-to-door -door social mobilization drive, starting from Lahore. Lahore is divided into 10 zones in the health department structure. Each one of the zone has a deputy district health officer. So we quickly enlisted support from the health department. Simultaneously, myself, together with our government partners, we reached out to every university in Lahore and we enlisted 1,500 volunteers. Those 1,500 volunteers were trained by myself and my team, the government, uh, the commissioner's office, and the health department on three aspects. The medicinal side of it, what is the messaging that should be going out into the field? The communication, how do you deliver that message? Um, there has to be an irrational component to it and an emotive appeal to it. And then we designed a data-driven application that Every volunteer was trained to use. You go into a household, you ask them whether they're vaccinated. If they're not vaccinated, why are they not vaccinated? And then you deliver a customized pitch. vaccinated, customized message because of this, this, and this reason. Your neighbors are getting vaccinated. So the peer effect creating that social pressure um, uh, in, within the society. They are getting vaccinated. Why are you not getting vaccinated? And then in this entire conversation and this data together with the demographics was systemically also recorded. And then very quickly we found out that people were not deeply hesitant. People were A, begin, to begin with either just lazy, that oh, office, the women would say our husbands and the men, male member of the family are not willing to take us to the vaccine center. Um, and so, uh, and then following, so we very quickly addressed the reasons that were coming up in the initial two weeks. We adjusted the timings of the vaccine centers so that they also operated at night. 
And so accompanying the social mobilization was also the idea of increasing access. So in addition to the main vaccine centers, all the health facilities in the city, there are 206, were also staffed and equipped with COVID vaccine. All of them now had uh, staff and equipment to deliver that vaccine. So every, our teams were also then directing people to the nearest um, hospital or to the nearest basic health unit. Across the street, there is a vaccine center. Please go and get vaccinated. You don't need a car, you don't need transport. Um, so we were doing two things. We were making access easy and we were making the message salient in a very data-driven way. And so then we quickly addressed the fact that we adjusted the timings. Um, then the other top three reasons that came up were first, the people were scared of side effects. Second, women who were pregnant who were breastfeeding were under the impression that they cannot take the COVID vaccine. And the third was people with heart issues, blood pressures, um, and people who had undergone some sort of surgery, they were like, oh, we have so-and-so condition and we cannot get vaccinated. So at this point for the second two, it was important to address that using medical literature. But then they would also direct us back to NCOC's website. At this point, NCOC had the message saying that if you're pregnant or you're breastfeeding, uh, consult your doctor before you take the vaccine. And that wasn't just NCOC, a lot of governments in South Asia and even CDC until a point was giving out very confused messaging as far as um, the status was concerned. So it was important to issue a more clear message when you were going in the field, as far as that um, if you're pregnant, you can still take the vaccine. If you have a heart issue, you, it's even more important that you take the vaccine. And then also convincing the male members of the family to take the female members of the family um, out for vaccine. But then you had to target, sometimes you had to target the same household multiple times because during the day you only found the women at home. So it was important to also visit during the time where you would target or speak to the male members of the family, which would be on the weekend or which would be earlier in the morning or later in the evening. And so increasing access, social mobilizing people through trained and very specialized force of volunteers. Um, and then quickly iterating back on the messaging to make sure that you were actually addressing the concerns that were coming out of field. So this we did in Lahore, and we were able to target in the first couple of, um, in the first three, four weeks, we were able to target 6,000 households, uh, 14,000 individuals. And based on that data and based on that learning, um, the health department was then able to launch its very expansive campaign throughout Punjab that's called Red Reach Every Door in Punjab. And um, so I think um, we were able to create a setup very quickly that allowed us to learn why people were not getting vaccinated. And now Lahore is fairly, for the first dose, it's at 80 to 85%. For the second dose, the rate is also fairly high. Um, in areas where the rate is not high, they're very specialized pockets. So either in rural areas, which are on the outskirts of Lahore. Um, and so for now, uh, now we are planning, my team and I at LAMS, a second iteration in which we only which will be a much smaller scale iteration, but that's going to target the very specialized pockets where the rate is lower than what we expect it to be. But overall, the rates and the numbers are looking fairly good in Lahore and in other urban centers. Well, that, that's fantastic work. And again, like um, exciting to hear how the collaboration worked, right? Because this is a whole of government approach. It's volunteers on the ground. It's people mm -hmm. crunching data, analyzing it 
NCOC involved where it needs to sort of change its messaging or needs input in terms of, hey, you know what, here's what we're hearing. Perhaps you need to restructure mm -hmm. the wording of your website uh, a little bit as well. Um, and you're absolutely right in the sense that confusing messages were there everywhere here in the US as well. CDC was criticized um, and rightfully so. Um, but also it makes sense why the messaging was confusing because it's a once in a century event. Nobody really has a playbook to say, here are the 10 things you need to do, which is why how the process you describe, which is get the data and learn very quickly and, and be willing to course correct as soon as possible is so important. Um, I remember in, in September, for example, my, my grandmother's helper had this thing where she said, you know, I'm hearing that um, every dose, basically you die within two years if you get the vaccine, right? And, and, and your, your point about customized messaging makes sense because when I saw her, I was like, look, you work for my grandmother. My grandmother has got two doses and a booster. My mom has it. Everybody in our family has the vaccine. Basically, if we all die in two years, you're going to be left alone. What are you going to do if you're alone? And, and then you're like, ah, you know, that makes sense. I'm like, so why don't you get the vaccine, right? I just did it in a very joking manner with her to convince her of the fact that, look, what are you going to yeah. do if you, if, if you yeah. all die, right? Uh, and that sort of <laughs> struck a light bulb in her mind about how ridiculous she sounded herself. Um, but, you know, from, from the data that you've looked at, like, what, what were some of the, you know, more interesting findings that emerged out of it when you when you went to households and, and targeted individuals, like what struck out to you as a researcher that you were like, perhaps I wouldn't have anticipated this being an issue or this being something we would have learned? So the first thing which I've already said is I thought that people would be deeply hesitant, but people were not deeply hesitant. They were either just complacent or they were uh, more scared of all the rumors that were being fed to them through WhatsApp. Um, misinformation, we can't get it because we have so-and-so condition. And I think it was fairly easy to get people going once you started looking at the data and you started delivering customized messaging. Um, but if, since you talk about something more interesting that stood out, at this point, I would also want to bring in the mask work that we did in Lahore. Um, and so we started the vaccine work in August, but before that, in May to August, we were also working on increasing the mask uptake of people in Lahore. And so that was also a very expansive drive um, in which, again, I think the collaboration is to be credited, my co-authors, um, as well as the district administration, um, as well as all the partners who came on board. So we, uh, the idea was that we want to increase mask wearing for that. Uh, we were taking inspiration from a model that was implemented in rural areas. However, we adapted that model for uh, an urban center like Lahore. And again, we wanted to focus on two things, access and salience. Access can be also had to procure masks and distribute masks. This is where the philanthropists of Lahore came in. So for all the masks they were, that were distributed in the summer, they were donated by either corporates or philanthropists or industrialists from Lahore. Not a single rupee of either the government or our team was spent on procuring those masks. That's the first thing. The second thing is then those masks had to be delivered door to door. In vaccine, we had to go door to door because we wanted to talk to people, but we wanted to get the masks out quickly. So for that, we partnered with Pakistan Postal Service and credit goes to the General Master and the Commissioner Lahore who brokered this arrangement. Um, they delivered masks to the addresses that were procured from the LESCO headquarters um, free of cost. 
So again, that packet went to every household that had a couple of masks in it. Um, Commissioner Lahore's letter saying that this is why you need to wear masks. And then when we were initially, we were targeting, so Lahore has 104 subdivisions according to LESCO's characterization. So we were using LESCO's mapping because we were using addresses which, from so, so, Sorry to interrupt you here, which is also interesting. And maybe I'll come back to it in just a moment yeah. that different organizations have different characterizations about zones and divisions yeah. in the city. And they don't speak to one another. So there's no way you can map the subdivisions onto UCs. And there's no way you can map the UCs onto LESCO's addresses. So the reason I had to go with LESCO's sub, subdivisions was because initially I wanted to do it UC-wise, but the addresses were being procured from LESCO. And there's no way to map the addresses onto the UCs of Lahore. And, and LESCO, for those of you who don't know, is the Lahore Electricity Supply Corporation, which is the public utility that provides power to the city. And the reason it, it was made, it made sense to procure the addresses from Lesco because they delivered the bills and they have the most up to date addresses um, and uh, of people in the city. Um, and so it was fairly generous of them to share that data with us, which is a fairly large data set. But then we used the division that again Lesco used of subdivisions. So there's around 104, 105 subdivisions. We in the first phase targeted. Um, 30 subdivisions. So this was a phase-wise rollout. Um, and in those 30, we sent the mess masks out by posts. That was the first. The second was how do you make the messaging salient? And in order to make the messaging salient, uh, there were a bunch of things that we did. We mapped all the markets and mosques in these areas. So first we collected data from 300 markets and mosques all over Lahore. Based on that data, we then shortlisted the 30 subdivisions. Uh, and when I say data, we collected mask wearing data as to whether the people are wearing masks, they're not wearing masks, or they're improperly wearing masks. And what is the demographics of the people who are wearing masks? Are these men, women? What does the age uh, group look like? Um, and based on that, we targeted, we shortlisted areas for intervention. Uh, in the shortlisted areas, we again collected data during the intervention to course correct and at the end line. And the intervention then also include did the local government staff that was trained and stationed in markets and mosques to continuously remind people to wear masks and to distribute masks. The second thing that the Commissioner Lahore and the district administration did periodically was flag marches. They would go in these markets with their entire contingent in order to make the message salient, they would go to the mosques and the markets in these areas. And the mosques, they would also do khutbah um, at Juma or in any of the prayers, whichever prayer that timing that they were going into. And the markets, the officers themselves went and distributed masks. That also include the CCPO, the Lahore police chief, who was very actively engaged in this intervention. Then there was this entire idea of making the messaging salient by putting up billboards. So, in an urban setting, you need a more permanent reminder. Um, and so that the campaign was then accompanied by messaging across billboards, um, placards outside the mosque, within the markets, um, in the chosen intervention areas that we were beginning with. Um, we also enlisted the support of local cable networks, which aired the videos that were then uh, uh, giving out the messaging of increasing mask wearing. Um, and then there was another, um, there were more events planned like 
the street art competition and cycling competition so that these events could make the messaging salient. And together with that, role models were also deployed who would give the message messaging out in markets and mosques. And so we had very interesting experience with the imams of Lahore. Um, in about 80% of the mosques, they were um, they received the messaging from the government in a favorable way. In the rest of the 20%, um, they were they belonged to religious outfits that were strictly against the government. So you would go in and you say that you are messaging through And they would be like, we collaborate with the messaging through propagate. And this was a fairly new phenomenon for me that with the anti-government sentiment at that point, uh, also increasing sharply in the city, there were clashes between groups uh, in Lahore and with the police, that they were now entrenching their presence for something as something as simple as a mask that was, wasn't going to be harmful. There was only going to be a very positive intervention. They were not willing to give out the messaging or to collaborate with the government or to say that um, there was that very interesting aspect. Then there were those imams who were in the far flung areas of Lahore, for example, outskirts of Lahore, Kahana Kahana and on the Kasur side, which are fairly rural localities. Um, one very interesting thing that came up was we will not ask people to wear a mask because it invalidates the prayer. Um, so we will not ask them to wear a mask. Then there were people who would come up and say, okay, uh, we will not ask them people to wear a mask because it's a Western conspiracy. And then the very interesting theories like virus And so there were different kinds of messaging that you were getting that you then again had to target in a very systemic fashion. And so the influence, A, first it is a challenge getting the information across to the moms. And then the influence of those imams on the people is also limited in urban settings. I don't like the messaging being delivered by the imam. Within my locality, I have the option of going to three or four other mosques. So that influence is very limited, as opposed to any other intervention that you do, would do in a rural area where you would be, it would be easy to target um, imams and to bring them all together on the same page. So that was a very interesting dynamic that came up from Lahore uh, in terms of uh, how do you get the right information across in an emergency like a pandemic in cities like Lahore. So that is a salient question that I'm still grappling with in spite of the mask work and the vaccine work. How do you get people in an age of WhatsApp and so many sources of information? How do you get the right information across? What is the right strategy? What are those nodes of information in rural areas? Those nodes of information are usually the leaders. So in urban centers, I feel those nodes of information are the more influential television channels or the influencers. Or now we would also need to start mapping out the WhatsApp networks of a city. And, and, and TikTok increasingly. Yeah, and TikTok. I think it's important to for somebody to formally trace those networks out um, so that we can, I mean, we do it for security reasons and we do it for all other sort of reasons. But I think 
for reasons like getting the right messaging out in an emergency like a pandemic. So those public health messaging needs to go out through the right channels. And those channels need to be identified for an urban center like Lahore. Um, and when Pakistan was there COVID urban centers, which is another mystery that people keep asking me about, why did it not go into the rural areas where in your neighboring countries, it wrecked heaven across the rural areas. And that's something that no academic in Pakistan is able to answer as of now, because we don't know. People were moving in and out of cities. The mobility was high. If you look at the data from the cellular companies, you had people moving from the cities into the rural areas and back from the rural areas into the cities. And so why did it not go into the rural areas? We don't know. But we're thankful that it did. Um, and we were able to control it just and contain it within the urban centers. Yeah, I think that that's the one great mystery um, that maybe sometime down the road we'll have some better answers to that. The, the point around engagement with imams, um, you know, a couple of thoughts on that. One, this resistance because of political polarization leading to negative public health outcomes, right, essentially is what you saw. I think that's a very important point and something worth considering given politically what's going on in Pakistan and everything else because one of the arguments some of my friends who are also in Pakistan have been making is that, look, you have groups like the TLP, which are politically being put against mm -hmm. in, in a corner on the wall. Right. And that mm -hmm. has repercussions, not just for politics, but for society. And what I'm hearing from you is that that indeed is what you saw in the mask issue as well. And I think it's something that perhaps we need to um, understand and, and sort of accept that while political ideological differences may be there, um, mm -hmm. You may actually, as a government or as a state, want to adopt strategies that don't sharpen that divide because it has public health, education, other societal implications, because you don't want 20%, 10% of your people sort of saying anything yeah. the government says we're not going to accept. That's a very dangerous yeah. path to go down on, especially in yeah. our country. Um, yeah. The second thing um, is the influence one, I think that deeply resonates with me because, you know, I grew up in Karachi joking about the fact that you go into the masjid and the imam will be talking about safai nasti man hai and then the people would go out, get some makai and throw the wrapper in the corner right by the mosque, right? And I'm like, yeah. you know, you hear this message every day from the day you enter the mosque to the day perhaps you die if you live in that same community. Um, but it never really changes your behavior in terms of, you know, how you engage with your neighborhood or your environment, even though the imam is consistently talking about the need for cleanliness or the need for honesty and things like that. So, you know, it sort of resonates the, the sort of learning you had. One question I want to jump into um, is your work was also cross-regional, right? You, you, I remember you mentioned that you worked in Bihar or collaborated with people in Bihar. What was that experience like? Because again, in this age of polarization, especially India-Pakistan issues, um, to me, it's a breath of fresh air that you were able to collaborate across the border. Um, so just talk a bit about that experience and what that was like and, and what are some of the learnings that you drew out from so that. When we were setting up the vaccine drive in Lahore, my co-authors were also planning on doing that in Bihar. And so we then put our heads together to figure out what would the intervention in Bihar look like. So in Bihar, we were collaborating with the government of Bihar, definitely, but also with two very capable organizations, PCI, which is Project Concern International, and CARE. Um, and so we were able to then form a very effective collaboration between PCI, CARE, government of Bihar, our team of researchers. Uh, and one thing that I think that stood out on the onset was how similar 
are we as compared to India? And so even just not in terms of how would people react or what the reasons for hesitancy are or what the vaccine drives look like, but also in terms of government policy. So when Punjab was rolling out reach every door, government of Bihar was rolling out Har Ghar Per Dastak. Um, and the programs looked very similar. And I think one area where this stemmed from is that both these areas, Punjab and Bihar, have received polio interventions that have been funded by the Gates Foundation. And so they have been rolled out in a very similar fashion. And so the public health interventions that have been rolled out in both Punjab and Bihar in the past looked very similar. So now going forward, the any policy making or any planning that was stemming from the government looked very similar. And so that allowed us to quickly, you know, come up with a set of interventions that we would adapt. So for example, uh, apart from the social mobilization, one thing that um, we are now doing in Bihar is also testing incentives. And so one thing that I really wanted to do was along with my co-authors um, is to test out how do people react to monetary and non-monetary incentives. And in the non-monetary incentives, one thing that I've learned from Pakistan is that if you camp pay or vote so food is a very important incentive. And so, John, sorry vote. to interrupt you again on social media. It's considered as like selling your vote for a plate of biryani, but it's a very Haan. different logic. So, so we thought, yeah, why not try something similar for vaccines? So we started off with the idea of uh, giving something out like hot food, samosa, but then collaborating with the government, the government was more keen on doing something that was more logistically feasible. So now we are trying out how does a packet of dry fruits, uh, when you're giving that out, how does that, you know, does it excite people? Do people get vaccinated quickly? Um, and so there was a lot of cross-border learning and because of the similarities between how people react, we were able to roll that out very quickly. So when Punjab was rolling out the vaccine for children, Bihar was rolling out the vaccine for children, Punjab was able to bring the rate up to 90% very quickly and so was Bihar. Um, and so how they were rolling out the vaccine for children, the boosters, what kind of incentives work, people were going to react similarly. But one thing that was different in Bihar, in Bihar, we are working in rural areas. Um, and in rural areas, the reasons for hesitancy were slightly different. And the method of actually reaching out or the modality of reaching out to them was different. So it was much easier uh, to get the message across or to cover. So there will be a total of 200, 300 houses in a village and you'll be able to cover the entire village, as opposed to um, and you can even target that multiple times. You can target people in feed, you can target people um, in, in, within that neighborhood. But people from across the border respond to behavioral interventions in more or less a similar fashion, in 60 to 70% in a very similar fashion. The governments are very similar. They're rolling out similar um, um, policies, less so because of the colonial past, more so that we still have the same donors operating across both sides of the border that are giving out the same advice for the same funding that they're rolling out. Um, but um, it was very similar. And um, I think a lot of my time went into, because going into that experiment, I was very apprehensive that in Lahore, I had the advantage of that being my hometown. I've lived here, I know what works for us. And in Bihar, I did not know this. I spent a lot of time in actually getting to know the province, the people, how do people, uh, organizations work, 
um, how does the government work, but it's also very similar. The secretary is going to react in a similar way. The chief secretary is going to react in a similar way. They're going to have the same things to say about incentives. So about monetary incentives, the Lahore government was saying, the Bihar government was saying the same thing. And so um, one thing that stood out for me, I now feel very much at ease working I, in both the countries because I know that we're very, very similar. Um, and that had, that mental obstruct that was there that no one's a different country, we haven't really been there, we're not really connected, that's gone away very, very quickly. Um, and the second thing is there's just so much we can learn from each other and quickly iterate and move forward. Um, and I think these informal collaborations or research networks across countries are doing that. And so I wasn't very apt, I wasn't involved in the intervention in Sub-Saharan Africa. That's a different team doing it, but I was able to fairly, I was able to learn off my colleagues who were working in Sub-Saharan Africa. So India and Pakistan had the advantage of a polio drive and a polio distribution network that allowed them and their staff to quickly roll out the vaccine. Sub-Saharan Africa, for example, Sierra Leone, does not have that distribution network. So for to roll out the COVID vaccine, they need to set up that distribution network from the scratch. Behind the population density, as I learned from my colleagues, is fairly low. The distribution networks was non-existent. They were grappling with supplies. And um, so it was much harder, and it's still as much of an issue, that, uh, rolling out the COVID vaccine in Sub-Saharan Africa. But in Pakistan, we've been very, very fortunate that it was very smooth. And one thing, if there's one difference that stood out between Pakistan and India was, in Pakistan, we were able to secure the supply because we were very, very quickly. All main urban centers have the choice of seven to eight vaccines available at all vaccine centers, not just for the first and the second dose, also for the booster. And US that they've allowed the second booster shot only now in Pakistan, people have been getting it since last year. So you can go in and claim a second booster shot. Uh, but in India, because India main, it was a urban phenomenon as well as a rural phenomenon. And so they struggled with supply for a very long time. And so initially when we went into Bihar was um, the, a vaccine center would be staffed with supply and supplies would run out within two or three days. Um, and then they would mobilize people only when the next stock came, uh, even though India is a producer of vaccines. But because of the expanse of the pandemic and the population, um, they struggled with supply for a very long time until November and December when things smoothened out a bit. Um, and so out of all these locations, I think the supply and um, the distribution network was very, very smooth in our country. And so for that, a lot of the credit that goes for the people at the helm of NCOC who were more adept in rolling logistical drives out very, very well. Um, and so they were able to use their expertise to, uh, together with the health department across the country to ensure a seamless um, vaccine drive. Well, it's, it's fascinating the collaboration you had with Bihar and yes, North India is very much similar. Um, I've noticed the same in, in some of my work. Um, and one hopes that perhaps, you know, sooner rather than later, things improve in relationships and maybe you can go on the ground and, and do work yeah. in, in places I would love to do that. That, yeah. that you perhaps yeah. know from paper or from Google Maps at this point. Um, but I think, I think it's a testament, right, that people across the countries can come together, learn from each other, collaborate um, in an emergency and a pandemic, or once in a century uh, event like a pandemic, 
Um, and it, yeah. it's amazing that that happened and that you got to learn from that experience. And one thing I'll, it says the teams in Bihar were very professional, very welcoming. Never did I feel unwelcome because of somebody who was from Lahore, even though my affiliation everywhere says Lams, Lahore University of Medical Sciences. And so they were very, very, um, we were all very comfortable learning from each other and each other's presence. And I think um, initially I was a bit apprehensive as to how will that work out, both with the government and with the partners. Um, but there was absolutely um, no hesitation there in welcoming um, any ideas from across the border or from learning only to take things forward. And so I think that was a big positive for me. Um, and so I, the other day I also tweeted that it's, um, I mean, so doing research in another setting is almost as if you found home in another country, because now you know the people so well, you know the organization so well. In order to research, you really need to understand what is it that's not working and what is it that's working and really spend time with the people, listen to them, talk to them. And I think I've done a, bit, a lot of that last fall um, and early this year. Um, and now I really feel I know Bihar as well as I know my own city and my own province. Which is awesome. And I think like maybe at some point governments from across the border, maybe both the Punjabs will start collaborating on if they're yeah. not already increasing collaboration on um, the air pollution crisis in the plains of the Indus Valley, right? Because that is a shared crisis. We can do a lot yeah. of learning um, and, yeah. and sort of work together because one side is not going to solve this problem. Uh, yeah. We have to work yeah. together on that. Moving on from this, a couple of last questions I have for you. Um, you mentioned the NCOC. I mentioned the NCOC at the onset um, as well. The NCOC's mandate is over. Um, mm -hmm. One, your reflections on their work and how they perform uh, and the fact that, you know, if and when the government of Pakistan and various stakeholders, public and private, other institutions, um, mm -hmm. want to collaborate, they do, and they do it successfully. Um, mm -hmm. It's a testament to the fact that, yes, our government can and does function. It's about the consistency at which it functions. But you've mm -hmm. extensively worked with them. So just reflect a bit upon the fact that, you know, in a country like Pakistan, if two and a half years ago I told you there will be an NCOC-like organization that will mm -hmm. help get us yeah. through this pandemic in such a fantastic manner and kudos to Imran Khan's government and his team and everyone else involved. Mm -hmm. um, I would have at least personally, you know, shrugged it off and been like very unlikely scenario. And, you know, it's amazing to see that they performed the way they did. Reflect on, on that institution and their capabilities and what they did in the pandemic. I think two points really sort of stand out for me as far as NCOC is concerned. So one thing that really stands, makes uh, NCOC stand apart from all of the government institution at this point is that they were very effectively able to bring multiple partners and multiple parties together. Um, and not just people who were within the NCOC, they collaborated with different data organizations, different private sector organizations. They collaborated with all provincial governments and they did that in a very seamless manner. Um, and so they created that room for everyone at the table to be heard. So it was a collaboration, it was a forum where collaboration was welcome. And so in a lot of other government institutions, we are very wary of collaborations because uh, of the fact that we either want to retain ownership of the project or we want to retain credit of the project. But this was a forum that was very open. And I think it was the health emergency that created that openness because we really wanted to save more lives. 
So that is one thing that really stands apart. The second thing is that they, while they did rely on data, that's a hallmark that now stands um, bright and clear, they were also able to quickly iterate on their strategy. It wasn't as if they can come up with a strategy and they're going to follow that for the next couple of months. They met every day. Every day the data was shared and discussed. Every day the strategy was reviewed and revised. Um, they also learned from cross-country examples. And so the fact that the policy was iterative um, and it wasn't rigid or fixed um, and they were working for a goal, the goal was very clear and everyone was working together. There may have been minor differences in the approach, um, but they were able to then pull it through, the body was able to pull it through. So the fact that it was open to collaboration and it was an iterative policy is something that um, I think that's a lesson not only for the health institutions in the country, but for everyone who wants to bring everyone, uh, who, who wants to achieve some, move people towards a common goal. And so NCOC was coordinating across all health ministries. Um, it was coordinating across different other health institutions. In Punjab, you have the IPH, Institute for Public Health, you have the Secretariat, you also have the commissioners from different cities. So there's a whole lot of government machinery that has to come together. Um, and a whole lot of data systems and data networks. Some provinces were able to do better than others. Um, so in the fact that the, when we say the NCOC did really well, there's a lot that we can uh, incorporate as it is into the new CDC. But there's also a lot that we need to iterate upon. So while KP was able to set up a fairly good data system, there were other provinces who struggled. And so now we also need to help bring the other provinces up to speed into having a agile and an, uh, and an iterative data system in which we're at least able to get all the beds in different hospitals together, that, that information. Something as basic as at the onset, Faisal Sultan was like, and that's something that the center and the health emergency needs to be able to do. So CDC needs to build those capacities. The CDC needs to learn from what worked and what did not work and what was necessary to make it even more effective. Um, so I think that's very, and while NCOC worked really well, I feel like going forward, we need to have such institutions in place already that God forbid in case of another health emergency, we don't need to put a forum together, a new forum altogether up at the center. The CDC or the health ministries should be able to come together to pull something like this off. So every time you need to do something in this country, you either create a new institution, even before parallel institution exists, or you create a new forum. And so instead of creating new bodies, new forums, you need to empower and build the current ones and bring their capacity up to speed so that the systems are there, the people are trained, um, and the learning and trust the people. The trust needs to be there between people who were running NCOC and the people who they're now handing it over to. They should hand them over to them with the trust that they will also be able to do a good job. Um, and I mean, yes, so uh, that's, I think that's the, going to be the learning. We are not yet out of the woods while the cases are fairly down. Mm, we are still struggling with some vaccination rates in some areas, which is very minor, but uh, we would need to get past these last couple of um, tasks that need to be done. And now it's up to the CDC with NCOC gone to take us across the finishing line so that the cases actually drop down to zero, the vaccination rate is actually, so that's actually very interesting because the vaccine, there's only 65% of the 
of the population in the US is fully vaccinated. In Lahore, Pakistan, it's now 75 to 80%. Uh, and I hope we're able to take it to 100% and bring it across the finishing line and then empower the health institutions in the country. We now have enough knowledge, expertise, because in the last two years of everyone running to get a certain task done, there is a lot that we have learned. And this learning should be used to empower the institution. We should not just let it sit in some books and some drafts and just forget about it. Um, because as scientists are predicting and every health experts are predicting, this will be a recurring phenomenon. Also with climate change and a lot of other challenges, we will need to empower these institutions and build them. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And I think empowering institutions, empowering people um, in terms of, you know, trusting them to do the right thing um, and, and running with what has already been done, I think is so, so vital. Even as you were describing your work in Lahore, right, I was thinking about Smaller cities, Sialkot, Faisalabad, Quetta, Peshawar, Sakhar, Larkana, there is learnings there too. Um, and there should yeah. be the ability for those commissioners, um, you know, stakeholders in those, uh, in those districts um, to absorb yeah. what you've done. Um, and it would be a shame if that learning did not happen because that's, that's the way the country moves forward. And, and it's easy to criticize, but as we've seen through this pandemic, Pakistan's institutions are capable of functioning. Pakistan's people are capable of coming together despite all the differences that they may have um, when it's needed. Um, and that, again, is something we should celebrate. We should celebrate the NCOC. We should celebrate all the people, including yourself, who've done the hard work of making that possible. And we should also celebrate the fact that Pakistan and India at a very small scale, but despite whatever differences there might be, can and do collaborate. And somebody from Lahore can work with the government of Bihar and, and feel that, you know what, there were no issues and perhaps we should do more because that's the only way for progress to be achieved. And again, Maha, this is awesome stuff. Um, so congrats to you, your co-authors, to your team, to everyone involved at the NCOC level and everyone who's played a bit of a role as small as it might be in terms of even handing out a mask to somebody through this pandemic, because that's how Pakistan has gotten through it. And we should celebrate that, that collaboration at a nation state level. Um, so again, thank you for your time today for explaining what you've done. Um, and we'll have you on again soon to discuss more data because I love these conversations. I'm a bit of a data wonk myself. So I'm always fascinated by the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. We'll be putting out the results soon and then we'll be ready to talk about the data and the results from both the mask and the vaccine, right? Sounds Thank good. you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.